0: Looking out here this morning, I see we have several visitors with us this morning. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to you and to those listening on radio. Thank you for coming to worship with us at First Church this morning. Several announcements before we start our service. The white rose on the altar is in honor of Miss Nora Nielsen, daughter of Dan and Jess Nielsen, who will be receiving the sacrament of holy baptism later on this morning. Congratulations to our youth, Pastor Tori Russell and Jake Bredigan, who were united in marriage here yesterday afternoon at First Church. Also, you'll notice the blue jug is out on the steps this morning. This will be the last day for that, where donations from that go to assist the Salvation Army as they work in areas that were hit by recent hurricanes. I want to thank everyone who has donated to that project also. We'll be receiving new members in First Church on Sunday, October 29th, during that morning's worship service. If you would like to join First Church or you have any questions about what that process may be, please see Pastor Joel. Also, with Halloween coming up, First Church will be having its first annual Trunk or Treat event in the parking lot here at First Church. If you're not handing out candy at your home that day, just fill up your car trunk with candy. Come up here to the church where you can meet with other ones here as we get to the kids. We welcome the kids that are out traveling around that evening in, in the town on trick-or-treat evening. We will also be giving a prize for the best decorated vehicle in case you'd like to decorate your vehicle. We will also have cookies and candy and apple cider for the entire family. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take the time to look them over. And now to start our service this morning, would you please rise and join me in our preparation for worship. This morning it is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even, and not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not pagans even do that? Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Please continue to stand for opening hymn this morning, which is number 457. I will sing the song of mercies.
1: may be seated. This time I want to invite forward Jess and Dan Nielsen and their daughter Nora for baptism. Got our little cheat sheets here. It's always an exciting morning when we get the chance to... excuse me, when we get a chance to... uh, Welcome a new child into this world and and baptize them and honor the the family in that way. It's an exciting moment and it's an exciting time to not only see this beautiful little baby, but also hear the the commitment and the the promises that this family is making to her to raise her in the faith and to instruct her in the Lord so that as she grows, she may know him and at that when the time comes to choose to follow him as well. Hear these words of Jesus, an invitation and a promise offered to us all. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's in obedience to this command that the church baptizes believers and their children. Peter, in the first sermon in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. So Dan and Jess, in response, having heard God's gracious promises to us in Christ, do you desire that Nora be baptized? Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. And so as as... We can obviously see Nora's a little too young to make that confession of faith herself. And so as her parents, we encourage you to, to respond uh, affirmatively to these, to these statements so we can bear witness to your faith and the faith that you will raise Nora with. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ His only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of life? Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciple, trusting his promises, obeying his word, honoring his church, and showing his love as long as you live? We do with and will you devote yourself to the church's teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers? We with Amen. And as a way to, to uh, surround ourselves and to affirm the faith that we all share, I invite you all to read the Apostles' Creed with us. The words are printed in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again, and He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank You, O God, for this gift of life. We thank You for this family and this child being baptized today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. Through the death and resurrection of Your Son, Jesus Christ, You have made it possible for us to be accepted into Your family. I pray that You would bless and sustain this child. Draw her to Yourself just as Jesus welcomed the children during His ministry. May she grow to love You with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also pray for her parents that You would equip them to fulfill the promises they make today. Bless and sustain them as they teach their children to to know and love You. All this we pray in the name of Your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so having heard the Scripture and heard your your affirmation of faith, I ask you now um, to make a commitment to raise her in that same faith. And so, Dan and Jess, do you promise to instruct Nora by word and example with the help of the Christian community in the truth of God's Word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for her and teach her to pray? And do you promise to nurture her within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? Amen, amen. And this, what we do today—I um, know you've heard me say this a lot recently—but uh, what, what we're witnessing today is, is their commitment to their daughter. But it's—it's it's more than that as well. It's the church coming alongside them and committing to support them and raise in, in that endeavor as well. And so, church, I charge you with—with—with—with with, um, with, with following through with that promise, with coming alongside them as a family and supporting them in any way that we can. And so, brothers, and so I ask you, there's a, there's a congregational promise printed in your bulletin as well. And so um, I will, uh, in just a moment, I'll ask you to read that together um, as a way to, to show your sign of commitment to them. Brothers and sisters, as we receive Nora into Christ's church, I charge you to nurture and love her and to assist them to be Christ's faithful disciples. And so with joy and thanksgiving, we now welcome you into Christ's church, for we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you, and to help you know and follow Christ. Amen. Thank you. Here's the moment of truth. Hi, Nora. Nora, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you and give you peace. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You for the free gift of salvation that is made available through His death and resurrection. Thank You for the symbol of baptism, which reminds us that You wash away our sins and give us new life if we put our trust in You. We pray for Nora. Bless and strengthen her daily with the gift of Your Holy Spirit. Unfold to her the riches of Your love deepen her faith, and keep her from the power of evil. Enable her to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. May she grow to know, love, and serve you with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also ask that you look with kindness upon Dan and Jess. Let them always rejoice in the gift you have given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit, that they may bring up Nora to know you, love you, and serve you and her neighbor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Congratulations. Um, As they find their way to their seats, I encourage you to take a moment and and greet your neighbor and, and welcome them as the children come forward for Children's Church.
2: Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. All right. Well, For those of you on the radio who can't see, we have reverted back to the good old-fashioned flannel board story this morning. There's nothing wrong with the good flannel board story. All right. So today, I want to share a story with you guys. Okay? So I need to put some things on my flannel board. Here we have a hill with some flowers growing on it. We have some more flowers on that hill. And we have some birds up in the sky. Okay. So you guys can listen quick. One day, Jesus was sitting on a hill talking with some of his friends. Do you see those birds up there in the sky, Jesus said? I want you to think about those birds. Jesus' friends watched as the birds flew high into the air. The birds ate the grain that grew in the fields, and at night they had a place to sleep in the trees. Those birds don't plant the seeds they eat, Jesus said, but God, your Father in heaven, feeds each one. He cares about each bird. Then Jesus may have bent down and picked up one of those beautiful flowers growing around him. Think about the way the flowers grow, Jesus said. Flowers don't sew their leaves onto their stems with a needle and thread. Yet even kings do not wear clothes as beautiful as these flowers. Then Jesus said, God makes beautiful flowers and he cares about them. He sends rain and warm sun to help them grow. Now, if God does all of that for the birds and the flowers, he will surely take care of you he loves you more than the flowers he loves you more than the birds so don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear because our father in heaven knows just what we need always try to love and obey God and he will take care of you because God loves you very much so I have a question Who does God love more, you or the birds? Us. Us. God loves us more than the birds. Who does God love more, us or the flowers that he grows that are so beautiful? Us. God loves us very much. And he makes sure that we have food to eat. He makes sure that we have a place to sleep. He makes sure we have everything we need. Maybe not everything we want. But he makes sure we have everything that we need. So let's say a quick prayer, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for providing the things that we need in our lives. Thank you for providing these young hearts as they come to church every week wanting to learn more about you. Lord, help us to learn the difference between wants and needs and know that what you provide is sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, guys.
0: Keep in mind the family and friends of the following servicemen lost in the last week. Killed in an accident at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Private Ethan Schrader, 19-19 from Prospect, Tennessee, Private Timothy J. Ashcraft, 18, from Middletown, Ohio, and the name of the fourth soldier killed in the West African Republic of Niger in the last week, Sergeant LaDavid T. Johnson, 25, from Miami Gardens, Florida.
1: Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to come and to worship you and to celebrate your goodness and your holiness. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, understand that this morning. Help us to see, uh, Lord, that you are a good and compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and slow to anger. Uh, we are so thankful that that is who you are and that and that knowing that, Lord, we can come to you just as a child knows and trusts his parent. Uh, we, we know that we can come to you and and. and provide and ask for you to meet our needs and ask for you to provide for us. And so we come to you, Lord, uh, with that same sort of simple trust that a child has. And I ask that you would meet the needs of of those that are listed in our bulletin today. I ask that you would um, be with those concerns, Lord, that aren't listed there that we may be aware of. We pray that you would meet those needs and that your will would be done in those situations. Um, Lord, we trust that you are working to get all things together for the good of those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose, and so, so Lord, we trust that while we may not know or may not understand what that good is at this point, that you do, and that you are working all things towards that end. Uh, Lord, we also pray uh, for for a special blessing on on Nora and her her family this morning as as she was baptized, we pray that you just continue to bless them and, and help her to grow to know and love you. And we also, uh, also ask for your blessing on Tori and Jake as they begin their life together. We thank you for the celebration of their marriage yesterday and pray that you continue to strengthen them and guide them in their life as well. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Uh, Today's offering will go to support the radio ministry here at First Church. The choir will be blessing us with some special music during that time.
3: The Lord stretches out His hands, and the people of the Lord...
2: standing our gospel this morning comes from the book of Genesis chapter 18 verses 16 through 33 when the men got up to leave they looked down toward Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way then the Lord said shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me if not. I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, "Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked?" Treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am not, I'm nothing but dust and ashes, What if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to share your word uh, and to, to study it together. I pray that you would continue to, to bless this time and to help us to focus, Lord, on, on what's important here and, and learn something about you that, that maybe we haven't noticed before or learn something more about you that, that reaffirms, Lord, our trust and our faith in you. I pray that you give me words to speak and you open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. As, as you know, if you've been uh, along with us the last few weeks, we've been studying some major events of Abraham's life. We have not been going, you know, verse by verse through his life. There's been some parts that we've skimmed over, and and uh, and. But we've been trying to hit these major major points in Abraham's life and try to try to learn from it, and try to learn about who God is as a result of of, of his faithfulness to Abraham, as well as Abraham's faithfulness. To him. Uh, I entitled the series, uh, Trust the Impossible, because uh, a lot of times what God was asking Abraham to do was to step out in faith and, and trust in a way that um, may didn't, maybe didn't make sense at the time, or maybe, uh, maybe didn't seem like it was the, the right way to look at it from a human perspective. But yet, but yet Abraham continued to be faithful, God continued to call him, and, and this passage is an interesting one because we're going to see uh, Abraham's faith really take action, and his trust in the Lord and his, his understanding of God really begin to, to take root in his life. And you, what we're seeing here is what I would think is the response to all that God had been doing in his life up to this point. Uh, and so just, uh, just to give for the sake of continuity, uh, the part that we, uh, overlooked or, or we're skipping over for this week is, is the section at the beginning of chapter 18, which talks about these visitors that come, to visit Abraham. If you remember in chapter 17, we talked about that sign of the covenant that God gave Abraham. And and in chapter 18, we see these visitors come. And, and the, the text identifies these visitors as the Lord himself. And so the Lord came and visited Abraham and Sarah. And once again, they, he reaffirmed the promise that he had made to them, that they would have a child of their own. And that that promise that God had made Abraham to bless the nations uh, through him would would come to pass through that son Isaac, and so they once again reaffirm that promise to him, and even let them know that by that by that time they're getting up to leave, and Abraham is walking with them, and and there's this moment of of um, God's kind of dialogue with himself, right? This this internal monologue that's going on, uh, but before we pick up that scene, I just want to make one more just kind of observation about our our. Uh, that applies to our text today. I think we live in, a, I live in a culture that really has bought into two kind of big lies. Um, and w- the first one is that if we disagree with someone, we must hate them. Right? That if we disagree with someone's choices or if we disagree with someone's lifestyle, that means we, that we must hate them if we disagree with them. Right? Anybody kind of buying along with that? Have you seen that play out in our culture? Right, that's a lie. You can disagree with someone and not hate them. Right? You can you can choose to not affirm the decisions or the life that they've chosen, but yet still show them love and respect and dignity. And so the first lie is that if we disagree with someone, we must hate them. And the other side of that is that if we love someone, we must approve of every decision they make. How many of you are parents out there? Right? (laughs) I see my mom is right there. Um, Maybe I should be careful here. Now. How many of you have agreed with every decision your child has ever made from the moment they were born till now? Exactly, right? (laughs) You know, no hands are up there, right? As parents, we we see this practically lived out with our children. We're not going to agree with everything they do. Even from the moment they're born, right? They make decisions and they do things that do not make us happy, right? But yet, we love them anyways, right? We choose to love them even though they upset us sometimes even though they make decisions that don't we don't agree with and especially as children get older and they make significant decisions in their life right uh, about the direction of their life or what they choose to do you know you may not agree with them 100% but yet you can still love them right and so so this idea that if we love someone we must approve of every decision they make is just doesn't make sense because we see that practically lived out in our own family relationships. And so um, you can love someone. You can show them especially the love of God through Christ and and allowing that to be a part of your life without approving of every decision they make. And that's an important thing here because as we see what Abraham is about to do is he's about to plead before the Lord for the sake of people that are not like him. People whose wickedness is is obvious to the Lord, right? And the decisions and the lifestyle that they're living is not what God intends it to be. But yet Abraham is still pleading. Abraham still has the boldness. He has the audacity to go before the Lord and still plead their case. And so, um, so I think we can learn something there. And so as I mentioned, there's this internal monologue that, that God, uh, kind of gives us a little bit of glimpse into His thought process, right? And He's, He's trying to decide whether or not to share with Abraham what He's about to do. And there's an important part here. This part of this thought process that God has given us a glimpse of is the fact of, of, of God's promise to Abraham that He would be a, a blessing, right? That, that all the nations on the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And so, um, it's an important thing to note there because that promise is, is coming through in a very small way in this chapter, right? Part of that blessing, part of the way that the nations are blessed through Abraham and his descendants and ultimately through us as his spiritual descendants is, is, uh, that we can pray for them. We can lift people up to the Lord and pray that the Lord would, uh, would work in their lives. And so so Abraham pleading with God on behalf of Sodom is, is already a part of that promise being fulfilled. But obviously it's not the whole part. right? Ultimately that promise is filled through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection that, that provides forgiveness and mercy to those who believe. But we're seeing a glimpse of that here already in Abraham's own lifetime. And even Abraham's spiritual descendants, those who follow Christ, will accomplish this on a larger scale than even Abraham was able to in his lifetime. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14-16, through 16, says that you, speaking to his followers, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house." In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, as Christ followers, we're called to be that light of the world. We're called to, to reflect the light that God has given us, the love that He has shown us, the grace He has shown us, the, the righteousness that He has given us, right? We're called to reflect that for the world to see. I think I've used this analogy before, but if I haven't, then it's new. If you have, I'm sorry. Um, But it's like the moon in the sky, right? The moon doesn't give off its own light, does it? There's no light source on the moon. What we see is light from the sun reflecting off the surface of the moon and and shining down on us. That's how the moon is visible. The moon in and of itself does not give off light, but it's the sunlight that comes and reflects off the moon. In the same way, you know, the light of the world isn't, some, isn't something about us that's special. It's the fact that we have Christ's love in our life. We have His light in our life if we put our trust in Him. And it's that light that is then reflected for the world to see. And so we're called to be that light of the world. Be, the, be this beacon of hope in the midst of a dark world so that others can see Christ and, and put their trust in Him. And the result of that... Jesus says in verse 16, right, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not so that they can see your good deeds and glorify you, right? It's not so that they see your good deeds and think, wow, what a great person, right? Your, your, your life should reflect Christ so much that they see you and they're pointed to Jesus. They see you and how you're living your life and they see a glimpse of God and His kingdom coming through. And they are able to glorify God because of that. Another thing we are reminded of here with this little dialogue between or monologue with God, but also his, his conversation with Abraham is that God is not deaf to the cries of injustice. Right? God does not have this blind eye or deaf ear towards people suffering and their grief and the cries of injustice that are heard. You know, it reminds, it's, it's almost like, a, you know, an exodus where God hears the cries of, of his people in Egypt and he goes and he ends up sending Moses to go and rescue them and, and, and free them from slavery. It's that same sort of idea that God, he hears the cries of people. He hears um, and he's a very much aware of injustice in this world. And very similar to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, God hears and he responds. He goes down to investigate and see for himself. It's not that God was surprised. It's not that God was unaware but we get the sense of this personal God coming down and witnessing it for himself. Next week, we're going to talk about Abraham and the near sacrifice of Isaac from Genesis 22. And there again, it's, it's an example of God seeing Abraham's faith for himself. He knew Abraham's faith was faithful. He understood Abraham's heart and where, where his trust was in terms of his relationship with God. But yet, he wanted to see it for himself. He wanted to see that faith in action. And so, in the same way, he hears these cries of of injustice and goes down to to examine it and investigate it for himself. And so, as as you heard read for our scripture reading today, you know God God ultimately decides to share the news with Abraham about about what he's up to, and it gives Abraham this opportunity to again be that blessing, right, and and make an impact uh, for those um, in that immediate area. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, Abraham's nephew, lot, uh, was, was living in Sodom at the time, right? They had split ways some time ago and lot had settled near Sodom and was becoming a part of that city. So, so Abraham does have a little bit of skin in the game. If you want to think about it that way, he does have a family member that's there. Um, but notice that, that Abraham prays not just for lot and his family, but for the city as a whole. And so I think there's something we can learn here about what it means to pray for others, what it means to really care for them and be a blessing to them, even when we may not agree or may not uh, they may not be people like us, if that makes sense. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But first of all, we can see that the prayer that Abraham had, this intercession he had for the people of Sodom, was based first and foremost on God's character. Abraham pleads to God to demonstrate his justice and his mercy. In other words, he's not asking God to do something that was inconsistent with his character. He wasn't asking God to change who he was in order to, to answer this prayer. God, or excuse me, Abraham's prayer to God was consistent with his character, was consistent with his justice and his mercy. And it's kind of summed up in that question, will not the judge of the earth do right? Right. If God is a just God and holy God and compassionate God, will he not do what is consistent with his character. That's the plea that Abraham has here. You see, it would be unjust for God to treat the righteous and the wicked alike. right? To give them both the same um, punishment or both the same uh, forgiveness um, even though they they were two separate uh, groups of people there. So like I said, it would be unjust for God to treat the righteous and the wicked alike. To punish the righteous alongside the wicked would be unfair. You know, and I think we can all understand this concept. The innocent should not suffer the same penalty as the guilty. Think of a court of law, right? Someone who's innocent should not have to suffer the same punishment as someone who is guilty. But the other side is true as well. It would also be unjust to treat the wicked as the righteous deserve. In other words, it would be Unfair or unjust of God to allow the guilty to go unpunished for their crimes. And so Abraham doesn't ask God to forgive Sodom for their sin. He asks that his justice would be on display, or that, excuse me, that his justice would be delayed for the sake of the righteous. And so this appeals both to God's justice, right? He's not letting the guilty go unpunished, but also God's mercy, that he would delay the punishment for the sake of the righteous. And we see this principle throughout Scripture. In Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Peter writes, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, that's God's purpose in delaying the return of Christ. That's what Peter's talking about in this passage. He's given to people every opportunity to repent and to come to a knowledge of the Lord and to put their trust in him. But the same can be said about the situation. Abraham's appealing to that same principle, right? God, God, don't don't change who you are, don't be inconsistent with your character. But be patient. Be patient. Let your love, let your mercy um, show so that So that these people have an opportunity, uh, so that the righteous are not swept away with the unrighteous in his anger. Jesus tells a similar parable in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, and the weeds also appeared... The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles and be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. See, it may seem unjust or unfair for God to allow evil or wickedness to continue. Right? Just turn on the news anytime in the past few weeks and see the, the kind of wickedness that we see in our own world. Right? It seems like it's it's happening more and more often, or maybe we're just becoming more aware of it than we ever used to be. But but you know, God allows this evil to continue. God allows wickedness to continue, but He does it for our sake. He does it because he's in his loving kindness, he's patient with us. So that we have every opportunity to, to turn away from our wickedness, to turn away from those things and trust the Lord. And so when we pray, as we as we think of how what it means to pray for people, not just friends and family, but people that may not be like us, we need to do so by appealing to God's character see this is what it means to pray in Jesus name Jesus name is you know when you when you tack in Jesus name at the end of your prayer that's not just some magic formula so that God hears it right it's 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 a confirmation that what you just prayed is in line with God's will and his character as it's revealed in Jesus life that's this revealed to us in his word and so when we pray in Jesus name it's about praying for the things that he cares about it's about praying for for His will to be done. It's about praying for His character to be to be seen and His will to be done in this world. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. But we can't pray according to God's character if we don't know who He is or what He's like. So in order for us to pray in line with God's character, just as Abraham did, we need to know what God is like. We need to know who He is. So we need to be in his word. We need to have that relationship with him. And so Abraham, first of all, he prayed in 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 line with God's character, but he was also bold in his prayer. I just love this scene because you get this almost like annoying, like pestering Abraham, right? Like it seems like he's almost like badgering God over and over and over again. Like, all right, you said fifty, but what about forty-five? What about forty, right? And he just keeps coming back to him over and over and over again. And so what it means to be bold in our prayers is to be persistent. Abraham did not give up. He didn't just pray once and then forget about it. And how many of us have thought, have, have done that same thing, right? There's something that, that we care about. There's something that is going on in our lives and we pray about it once and then we never, we never go back to God with that issue. Right, we wonder why God isn't working, we wonder why that situation hasn't resolved, but but we almost it's like we just throw it up there once and then and then forget about it and we just go on our way. Abraham had the boldness to be persistent. He had the audacity to keep going back to God over and over and over again with his request. So we need to be that same way. It reminds me of the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter eighteen. So that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on this earth? See, the point of that parable is not that God is an unjust judge, but that if an unjust judge eventually gives in and and does what is right, how much more will a caring, loving, compassionate, just God do what is right? And so we should pray. We should be bold and, and continue to pray and not give up. God may not answer our prayers the way we want Him to, but He does answer them according to His character. We don't have to doubt that. So God wants us to be persistent. He wants us to be bold and continue to come to Him just as Abraham did in this situation. But being bold also means being specific, right? Abraham didn't shy away from the details, right? He, he got very specific with his numbers. Abraham knew what he wanted and he was not afraid to ask God for it. And so as we pray, as we lift others up in prayer, we should not be afraid to be specific, Pray for specific people in specific situations and pray for a specific outcome. As best as we can determine, pray for an outcome that is consistent with God's character and His will. Right. So if you know someone who's sick and that you want them to be healed, pray for their healing. Pray that God would, would bring that child home that, that has not been around for a while. Pray that God would provide work for you when you've been out of work and you want to provide for your family. Right? Pray for those things. That doesn't mean God has to answer them according exactly to how you prayed it. But He will answer your prayers. God already knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows what you want anyway. So you're not hiding, you know, you're not tricking Him by, by leaving out those details. I think He wants us to be honest with Him and He wants us to be, uh, persistent about uh, our prayers and specific about our prayers. But when we pray, when we pray with that sort of mindset, we must also pray that God's will be done, not our own. We can lift up our concerns. We can we can say, God, all right, this is what I want to see happen. This is what I would desire. This is how I think things should go. But like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we need to say, Father, if, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. So we can pray specifically. We can pray consistently, but always pray that God's will, will be done and not our own ferdi alluded to this point already but so so Abraham prayed in line with God's character Abraham prayed boldly and Abraham prayed for people that was who were not like him think about our call to worship from Matthew chapter 5 right you've heard it said love your love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you Exactly what Jesus was talking about in this passage, right? Abraham didn't have to pray for Sodom like he did. He could have just asked God to spare Lot and his family, and to burn the rest. But instead, he asked for God's mercy to be extended the people of Sodom as well. We see an opposite example in the life of Jonah in chapter four, right? Jonah finally, you know, he takes a, a, a the long route to Nineveh, which is the part of the story we're all familiar with. But he eventually does end up in Nineveh, which is one of Israel's fiercest enemies. And he preaches. He says, repent and believe the good news, right? And then he leaves. That's all he does. And the people of Nineveh respond and they trust God and they repent from their ways. And God spares the city. And Jonah's watching all this happen from outside the city, right? And he gets mad. He gets mad that God chose to spare the city and show mercy, you know, he, rather would have hit, he would have rather seen Nineveh burn to the ground. And so God makes this point with him. He says, he said, you know, like, isn't it my opportunity to show mercy to those whom I will show mercy? You know, why are you upset? Why are you mad that this sort of thing is happening? With Abraham, what we see here is the opposite. Abraham is pleading for people. He's pleading for this wicked city that God would show them mercy. So the question is, are you willing to pray for those who don't look, act, think, or behave like you? Or is God's mercy, compassion, and justice only for you? Are you willing to extend that and show that to others? In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46 is the parable of the sheep and the goats, that at, at the day of judgment, God will separate all people into to two groups. Those on his left, the goats, are those who did not show mercy or compassion to people. The sheep, the ones on his right, were the ones who showed compassion and mercy. And God welcomes those people into his kingdom. You see, the litmus test for Christians is whether or not they're willing to extend God's compassion and mercy to everyone they meet. If I've experienced God's grace, if I've experienced this transforming love in my life, how dare I withhold that from others? Right? And, and allow God to be that just, merciful judge, right? He will, he will take care of that end. What He's calling us to do is show compassion and show love and be that light of the world so that people can see us and come to know Him. See, underlying this whole story here is the idea of the righteous minority. Right? This, this idea of Sodom and the the wickedness of Sodom and and a righteous minority within the population is a, it's a microcosm of Abraham's and our calling to the world. Right? As Christ followers, as the light of the world, we, we live in a broken and fallen and dark place, right? And we have an opportunity to shine our light into that world. Unfortunately, ten people could not be found in Sodom, but God did spare Lot and his two daughters. As God's chosen people, Abraham's family is called to have a positive impact on the world. We're called to be to we're blessed to be a blessing. All nations will be blessed through him. And ultimately it's through Jesus, Abraham's descendants, that, that and it was it is him that will bring light into the world. He will heal the brokenness of the world through His broken body and shed blood. And so as Christ followers, our calling is to continue that work of the kingdom in this world. We are His representatives as if God is making His appeal through us. So one of the ways that we can impact the world for Christ is through prayer. Like Abraham, we can, Abraham, we can intercede for our communities, our state, our nation, and our world. And we should pray for our family and church, but we should also pray for people who are not like us. We should be bold and pray according to God's character, I believe that if we commit to this kind of prayer, we'll begin to see God's kingdom breaking through right here in New Knoxville and around the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. And I pray that you challenge all of us in our hearts and our minds and through our actions to to represent you well in this world. And I pray that you would help us to, to pray for those who are not like us and to extend your grace and your love and your mercy to everyone we meet. So that by, by being that light of the world, Lord, people would, would see you and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, I invite you to stand and, and sing our final hymn this morning, number 455, Come All Christians Be Committed. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.